So I'm telling you, because she kicked me to the curb and said, you're not telling a joke today. So I just thought I'd tell you guys what an actual joke sounds like. <laughs> All right, this one's a little bit of a long joke, so you're kind of going to have to stick with me on this one. So Jesus is taking his turn, minding the gates of heaven, when an old man comes up to the gate asking for admission. Jesus starts asking questions for the heavenly entry form. Uh, what was your occupation? He asks. I was just a humble carpenter, says the man. But, sorry, really, says Jesus. So was my dad. Do you have any children? Oh, I have a son, says the old man. Oh, tell me about him, Jesus said. Well, he wasn't really my son, says the old man, but he was given to me and I raised him like he was my own. He had holes in his hands and feet in his holes in his feet, and he wasn't alive for a while, but somehow he was brought back to life again. He became very famous and people still talk about him all over the world. Jesus puts down the form, wipes a tear from his eye, and says, At last I found you. He grabs the old man in a hug and shouts, Daddy! The old man shouts back, Pinocchio! (laughs) 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 Was that Mike? (laughs) I found that in uh, Whitcall's book, (laughs) joke book. I thought it was hilarious. And I thought I'd um, get my chance to tell a joke. So, um... I <laughs> I am going to tell you guys a little bit about my story and my journey. Um, there's quite a few people here that know it, but there's also a few that don't. So just for the sake of the room, I'm going to pretend like nobody knows who I am and where I've come from. Um, and like Rob said this morning, the power of the testimony, you know, the the um, accuser was conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. Amen. So we're going to do some um, accusing, conquering this morning. Hallelujah. Uh, So my parents have loved the Lord since before I was born. They were saved in 1988 and committed in 1990. Because you know how like sometimes you commit and then you're like, oh, nah. And then you're like, oh, sorry, I wasn't ready that time, Lord. I'm ready again. Yeah, that happened to them from the years 1988 to 1990. And they committed and stayed on the roads um, from 1990 they're still going today. And they've been in full-time ministry almost as long. Uh, I grew up as a second eldest child, my older brothers down the back. And we were our parents' test dummy children. You know how the oldest are kind of like the, you try, yeah, um, you try, but yeah. Um, and I say that with love, because uh, my mum and dad were young when they, were had, uh, when they had us, and so they were just learning how to be adults as well as trying to parent us, which is not very easy. Um, so we were kind of brought up in this chaotic, loving, messy, loud house, which was fun, it was fun. And um, I was brought up with a peer, uh, in a home with parents that love God and love us. Um, was it a normal Christian home? Probably not. Because we were crazy, they were crazy. They were like they were druggies before they became Christians, so they were still like, 
<laughs> for a few years. So, yeah. <laughs> love you, mom and dad. They'll probably listen to this. <laughs> was it rainbows and butterflies? No, absolutely wasn't. But it was filled with grace and love. And as, as my parents learned how to love the Lord and, and love people the way that God wants us to, our house slowly became um, even worse. <laughs> nah, just kidding. Um, I have six siblings and I was the child that gave my parents a very robust prayer life. They were always on their hands and knees like, why me, Lord? Nah, they weren't. But they were always on their hands and knees because I gave them a bit of a headache. I was, yeah. Um, my teacher, one of my teachers told my mum that I answer back way too much. And my mum told me that I was just inquisitive, passionate and vexatious. Parents deny away. Like, <laughs> your child's so cute and fluffy. Uh-uh, she just got big bones. <laughs> you know, that denial that parents have. Um, anyway, my mum said that I was just inquisitive, passionate, and vex- vexatious. And I later found out that that meant nosy, obnoxiously loud, and annoying. <laughs> my, my brothers and sisters can attest to that. <laughs> so growing up, um, you know how you kind of attract people that are very similar to you? Yeah, um, I've heard people say their opposites attract and the only place or relationship I've found that to be is with Vernon. Not just our skin colours, but our personalities are are very, very different as well. Um, But almost every other person that kind of like magnetised towards me were friends that were like, we would jump the two metre high fence with the barbed wire at the top just to get into the playground, the cool playground, the cool hunger playground <laughs> with the carts and the digger that digs up the sand. Yeah, that's that's the, the people I used to hang out with. And we were like, you know, 14 and 15 <laughs> at the time. So um, you can imagine my surprise when I look back on my life and I see that all the friends I ever had were kids that used to jump fences and eat other people's fruit and act like it was their house and sit there and just like leave the rubbish on the ground and um, that was kind of typical kid stuff from primary school Uh, and as I got older older uh, as a teenager I kicked it with a group of chicks that were just out the gate they were just gone like I'd been brought up in a Christian home my whole life, so um, I didn't know too much of anything else really until I got to high school. I went to Auckland Girls Grammar, and um, these girls I hung out with, they smoked dope in the PE shed and cigarettes and brought alcohol to school and, um, you know, really like high achiever stuff. Um, I tried weed once when I was at high school, and I got so sick that I lay on the ground at Brito Mart for two hours um, sobbing. And uh, I got home and my mum and dad were like, where the heck have you been? You know, understandably, because I've been missing for a few hours. Um, And I told them what happened. I was sick. I had to lie down. You know, I didn't tell them why I was sick, but I told them that I was sick. And so um, I told them that I had to lie down and I couldn't really move because I, you know, feeling a bit mamai, a bit stoned, yeah. Um, And... I, and they were just like, you expect us to believe that garbage? Don't you dare lie to us, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't believe me until I didn't answer them back. So they were like really going at me. And when they let me have my say, I didn't say a word. And they were like, oh my gosh, she is sick. She's usually got a whole bunch to say to us, but nah, she's she's sick. And so, um, so that was kind of the caliber of my friends, you know, Anyway, I was invited to um, not attend Auckland Girls Grammar. 
<laughs> I was invited to not attend that school anymore. <laughs> so I went to Rose Hall. Whoop, whoop, Rose Hall. I was there for two whole months. <laughs> until I decided that I was too cool for school. And um, so I left. And I got my first job at McDonald's. I'm not going to tell you the location because I'm about to tell you a story. That <laughs> it's a bit risque. So <laughs> I, I left there, got a job um, at McDonald's, and um, I was there for three months, and they told me that my tills were ringing up short. So they needed someone to double-check my till before and after I left. So they were pretty much accusing me of stealing money, and I was, like, real offended. But I'm not sure why, because I was stealing till from the money from the till. <laughs> but I had the audacity to get offended when they hit me up about it, like... I mean, I did it, but how dare you? <laughs> so I never went back there after that encounter. <laughs> um, I got a job at Burger King. I learned my lesson, don't steal money, earn it like an honest person. I was still 15 at this point, and I got jumped by a drunk 30-year-old who came in to get some food and get what she wanted, and he ended up punching me in the face and giving me a hiding for it. Um, and again, I never went back there. I turned 16 and I got a job here at Planet Action. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by this time, I was in between my house and Vernon's house. Um, I met Vernon when we were 14 years old. And this eager guy DMs me on MSN Messenger. Anyone remember what that <laughs> Like messengers like, like Instagram, but like 10 years ago or so. Um, so he DMs me on Messenger and asks me if I want to date him. And I'm like, um, no, I don't even know you. We didn't know each other. We really didn't. He, his best friend was dating my best friend. And somehow he got my email. And um, <laughs> with the confidence, hey, like confidence levels just all the way up there at that age. So a week after that, after that message, um, we met. He was dating my friend, like I said. They met up, so we decided to go with them, and we've been together ever since. Um, by the time I was 17, I had burnt a lot of bridges. I had hurt a lot of people, especially my parents. Um, I had let my heart harden towards a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, my heart was softest towards him, but it was still like stone cold Steve Austin. Like it was still pretty hard, you know? And so I was, um, I was stealing to support us. Don't know why, because his parents had money and food. My parents had money and food, but you know, when you're young, just your gauge on the world is very tunnel. You got tunnel vision. So um, I was stealing to support us for no real reason at all, um, and lying to people just to benefit my ego and my plans. Um, and I was messy, like I was just straight up messy. Um, with a group of my girlfriends, we decided to go to Faith City, um, which is the church that Joe and Lids have come from. We decided to go to Faith City to try and find some faith. <laughs> Instead, we found a group of boys that were not the best of company for us. Um, so they introduced me to a life of criminal activity, which was, um, you know, it was like really buzzing, like adrenaline spiking. Um, it was really, um, at the time, I thought it was, you know, like the best thing ever because I was not sheltered, but I was, it was new to me. And so I was excited by it all. 
Um, and for about a year, I was stealing cars and doing it pretty well. I made it. That's not a break. No, that's, that's ugly. I wasn't doing it well. I was just better than everybody else that I was with. <laughs> um, uh, stealing cars, doing it well, and robbing people's homes. Uh, there were many times during that period, like, like I sung, like where I look back on my life and I see God's hand over so many situations where I could have killed myself, where I could have killed um, other people and just very dangerous. Um, I watched my sister get mauled by a police dog because she was the slowest in the pack and I'm so grateful for God's peace because like when I, when I see those images, I still shudder a little, but then I remember, you know, God's saved us from that. God's forgiven us for doing the things that got us into that situation. My sister is in love with God. She's, um, she's leading a, a big ministry down in the South Island and um, God is good, you know. And so I still get visions of that every now and again and it just creeps me the heck out. Um, that, the night that the dog mauled my sister's leg um, was the night I got sent to jail. <laughs> I was in remand, which is where they keep you until the judges decide. Yamo. <laughs> Yamo knows all about that. She's a prison officer. She hasn't been to jail. <laughs> she, <laughs> sorry. She's a prison officer. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I was, and Jeffrey, and Jeff. Um, so I was in remand for nine months um, and was there just until my court date came so that the judge could tell me what I was going to be doing for the next year or so. So my charges were read out. Uh, 15 counts of robbery, uh, 23 counts of unlawful tax of motor vehicle, breach of bail conditions and abuse of a police officer. That's not, I don't think that's what he sounded like. But I was like, abuse of a police officer. I just hit the dog because he was biting my sister's leg. Like, come on. Is that abuse or is that self-defense? No. What are justifying? No, no. I did, I did the wrong. I did the wrong. So um, I know that over that time that uh, Vernon and I were acting like Dom and Letty from... <laughs> from Fast and the Furious. We stole well over 200 cars and did just under 100 robberies. And um, the ones I went to was put in remand for were the ones where I didn't wear gloves. So, bang! I hear the prison doors close behind me and I start sobbing like a busted NASCAR, like... <laughs> Like, because you've got to do it, I had to do it quietly because the cell doors, you know, it's it's quite hollow and so they'd hear me if I do it loudly. So I'm sitting in my cell and I'm like, <laughs> and just, just asking myself how I got here, you know, all those life pondering questions. Why me, Lord? What did I do? I'm innocent. I wasn't, but... While I was in there, um, God watched out. God had my back hard, like hard, hard, hard. And I was um, young and fresh meat. And my first night in there, after my sobbing, through my tears, um, the ladies in the other cells were interrogating me. Um, and I told them that I was a Harris, which I'm not. It's my mum's maiden name. I'm actually a horn. And uh, found out that I had an auntie in there. I'd never met her. I didn't know her before prison, but she knew all of my aunties and uncles and um, one of my aunties was affiliated with gangs and so she knew their auntie um, and my uncles and um, God used her to protect me. 
I didn't see it at the time, but she did. And uh, she'd been in remand for 11 months at that point, so she was quite well respected. She was one of the um, longest serving in remand. Um, and so she took me under her wing and she was really good to me. But uh, there was a new girl that had come through and uh, she was sniffing out the yard, just trying to see who's who in the zoo. And she walked over to me and I had this really cool jacket, like it was JJ's and it was not that great, but I remember I loved it. And so um, she walked over to me and she grabs me by the collar and she's like, remove the jacket and put it in my hand. And I was like, mm, no. And so she says it again, remove the jacket and put it in my hand. And I'm like, what, why? And then she says it again. She says, remove the jacket and put it in my hand. And I'm like, no. And then she goes to say it a fourth time and she kind of looks at me and then just kind of glazes just over my head. And she's like, oh, oh nah, nah, all good, all good, G, laters. <laughs> and so she walks off and I'm like, oh, that was creepy. You know, like, cool, I've still got my jacket. Um, and as I'm heading in from the yard, because we were out at the yard at that time, as I'm heading in from the yard, one of the prison ministries lady, her name was Juanita, um, she runs up to me, she's like, oh my gosh, I just saw what happened from the deck, do you know what happened? I said, I have no idea what happened. She said, oh, she saw an angel behind you. And I was wrecked, I was like, I'm done, thank you Lord, you're my saviour again for the 15th time in my life, you know, how we like give him our lives and then take it back, yeah. You're my saviour again, Lord. I'm going to follow you with my whole heart. And so I did for um, the rest of my... So that happened, I think, about the fourth month. Um, and so for the rest of my sentence, I was like hearty in the Lord and going to the services because I got Sunday services in there, which was pretty cool. Um, stink worship, like not stink, but like this old cute old lady. And she's like, praise the Lord. But it's about the heart. It's not about the, you know, the good stuff. <laughs> Uh, but at that time, my head was not in that position. I, I did it. All I saw was this crusty old lady singing these crusty old songs. And I just thought, oh. Anyway, um, they had it all. It was, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, and so for the 15th or 16th or 17th, probably like the 19th time in my life, I gave my life back to God. And I was determined to stick to that, um, to determined to stick to the plan that God had for me in my life. And on my court date, I was sentenced to home detention. So I lived a few months of solitude and I got bored and started drinking with my neighbour, who was also my friend from primary school. And uh, at that time, uh, Vernon had moved to Australia um, and he was gone for a few months. Uh, he, he had a plan and I wanted to respect that. We were still quite young. Um, so sad as it was, we were apart for a few months and that kind of hurt. Um, fast forward to the end of my home detention sentence and I was re-employed by the gate um, for the third time. The first time I got fired, second time I left. And so for the third time, I was re-employed by the gate. <laughs> um, and... And Vernon had come home. So I loved God, I loved Vernon, and I loved alcohol. Not in that order. It's probably the other order at the time. Alcohol, God, alcohol, Vernon, then God. So um, I was living this double agent life because I was also asked to join the youth leadership team. Um, and so for many years, not many, like five that's many, eh? Yeah, that's many. So for many years, I was, I was, living, I was living a life of like debauchery, um, wreaking havoc, drinking, 
Any kids in here? Sexing outside of marriage. Um, all while functioning as a youth leader. Dangerous. Danger, danger. And I have to answer to God for that. So if you think having to answer to your mum for breaking the washing machine after washing line, like after you and all your cousins have been on it, you know how you jump on it and you swing around? Yeah, and then you break it? Yeah, and then you have to go tell your mum? Yeah, I have to go tell God what I did. So it's um, five million times much more pressure. But I was double agenting for ages. Um, and... It was, it was a real dangerous place to be in. But Vernon and I decided that in 2012, we were going to stop like pussyfooting around and submit. For the 30th time in our lives, we were giving our lives back to God. And, um, and we wanted to, to make an honest go of it. And so we did. We, re- we recommitted our lives to God and His will. Um, we got married not long after that decision. And we were at every single altar call for the next three to four years. <laughs> every child, like, if you want to recommit your life back to God, that was us. Every week we were just up there because we were just, you know, learning how to let go of some things that we held dear to us for a very long time. Um, so almost every, like, clockwork, every week, guarantee me and Vern will be up the front. I'm sorry again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so there were many years of patterns that uh, I had to let God unravel and I had a heart that had been hardened. So God had to soften that again and unknowingly I was sabotaging my own growth and uh, God's ability to help me by putting things at the foot of the cross and then you know, going back and picking it back up again, as we do. But um, seven years after we committed our lives back into God's will, here we are. Two rat bags that are a bit like rough around the edges, still learning to control the tongue, still learning to live a life that pleases God, no qualifications to our names, just imperfect humans being made perfect by the perfecter. Amen. Praise God. God is good, isn't he? God is good. What I love about that is um, we hear her story, but what it is is we all have a story, which is his story, and now it's history. Amen? So we all have a story that is now his story, which is history. I love that. And what I love, um, what I love about testimonies is it shows that God is still working. God is still a God of miracles. God is still a God who speaks. God is still a God who saves, as we've heard testimony shared this morning. God is still a God who heals. God is still a God who keeps his promises. These ain't just stories in the Bible. This is a God that's living and active. He's still doing these things. And that's what I love. Um, you know, I, I, I was talking to God this, um, just through the week this morning, and I just said, like Tao said, I, I go, I'm sick of mucking around because this is life or death. Either people are going to go to hell or they're going to go to heaven. Either I'm going to go to hell or I'm going to go to heaven. And I was like, I'm just sick of mucking around trying to preach this gospel with roses, bubbles, rainbows, unicorns. Now nah, I was like, no, nah, it's time to start speaking truth because that's who our God is. 
He's a God of truth. He's a God where people go through these things. They've got a story, but it's His story. Yeah, we've done dumb things growing up. Yeah, we've done so many things, but God still loves us. You know, and, and we can come to a point where we start to struggle about, why am I even here? What am I doing? You know, it's crazy. You know, the thought of our journey of being saved, it's been hard, but it's been fun at the same time. Like, I'm not going to lie, we've had some moments where I'm just like, oh, what am I even doing here? Easiest thing to do is go back to drinking or drugs. But I remember who he is. You know, we, we've had people say, you're too young. You guys don't know how to pastor adequately. You haven't even been walking with God long enough to be able to do this. Or my most favorite is the awkward stare. Man, now that's harsh. You know, it's just like, oh, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a pastor. It's like, but I know you. And I'm like, do you know me? And they're like, yeah, you do this, you do that. And I go, nah, I don't do that. What I do is do this. I'm not focused on what I used to do in the past, which they are. I'm focused on what's happening here and where God's moving now. You know, but then when people say that, sometimes you can start believing it. You know, our mind is a battlefield, right? It's a battlefield. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go for a walk up in my brain today. You go for a walk and all of a sudden you step on a landmine. Boom! You're useless! You're dumb! All these thoughts start raging in your head. It's like, you're not even qualified. You can't do this. You're lazy. You lie. You sin. You steal. I do all these things. And my, and my mind's going crazy. And I'm just like, hoo, hoo, I really am. But yet, I still remember who God is. I still remember what He says. As I start believing these thoughts, I start thinking about God. I start thinking, Actually, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, I'm so much more than this. You know, I think, do I re do, I don't know all the Bible. Why have you called me here? You know, there's some people that have done so much more ministry, yet why have you called me here? I start to think like, why can't you just choose them? But I've come to a point of all this crying with God, all this talking with God, all these sad, sad moments with God, that there's actually three things that He showed me that actually is more important. So I used to think, you need to know your whole Bible to be able to do this, to speak into people's lives. I thought, actually, I need to be going around preaching Jesus everywhere I go to be able to be doing this. But actually, something that God revealed to me was, nah, that doesn't make you qualified. What makes you qualified is believing Him, knowing Him, and following or being obedient. Those are three things that God really showed me. And He goes, because I, like, for example, you look at Taos, you hear her story. It's like, but actually, she believed God. She ended up knowing what God was calling her to do. And now she's being obedient. There's something in that story. Like, like, I, like I look at her and I'm like, okay, you look up on stage. You see all the musicians. You see a, you see a singer. 
A gifting can fill a room, right? But it won't change your life. It's not going to change your life. So Taos can sing what she wants, and you can be, man, you got an amazing voice. That's it. But a gifting with an anointing changes a life. So she's gifted and God's anointed her through all her struggles, through everything she's gone through from believing God, knowing God and following and being obedient. He's now anointed her. And now that, that changes a room. That changes a life with God. So I'm not saying that you don't need to read your Bible. I'm not saying that you don't need to know it. Instead, I'm saying don't get so caught up and thinking that you need to know everything in it. I love what God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 6. This is what he says. So if you've got your Bibles, have a read, turn to it. Genesis 15, verse 6. So this is what God says to Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it, credited it, that's a stutter word, credited or counted it to him as righteousness. So hold on, you're telling me that I don't have to go do something. I don't have to go read my Bible every day and then I'm righteous just because I believed? Now that's big. That's a loving God that he says to Abraham, you're righteous because you believed. Abraham was going through the struggle because Sarah was old. He was old. And he said, you're going to have kids. Your kids, are going to, you're going to be the father of all nations. Yet he believed that to God. And God said, I count it as righteousness. So believing, there's something with believing that God counts. You know, it's, it's strong. Believing. So when I think of God, I'm like, man, you are a powerful God. You're Jehovah. You're Jehovah Shalom. You know, this is God. But what I love is when he, catches, when he talks with Moses. So God talks with Moses and, and um, Moses has to go, you know, free the people of the land. And then uh, Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am. It's like, I am. I am who? And I come to this point, I'm like, actually, God says, I am freedom. So today you are free. God says, I am a healer. So today you are healed. God says, I am the restorer. So today you are restored. God says, I am a father. So you are a son and daughter. God says, I am forgiveness. Today you are forgiven. God says, I am love and you are loved. I am, that is our God. Because he's that, we are now this. We're forgiven. We're loved. We're sons, we're daughters. And the question I'm going to ask you, do you believe that today? Really think about, do you believe that? Because if I go back, 
it says Abraham believed and that was counted to him as righteousness. So do you believe today that that's who our God is? That's who the God is that we serve? You know, a lot of people have questions about what am I doing with my life? Where am I meant to go? What am I meant to do? And what's the verse everyone turns to? When they don't know a plan, when they don't know their purpose, where do they go? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is who our God is. Do you believe He's got a plan on your life? Do you believe He's got a purpose for your life? we got to start believing because that's something important. For so long, so Rob brought up the blues. Boo. Yeah, boo. Go the Chiefs. But forget rugby. So me growing up, I had a plan on my life. I already knew what I was going to do. So growing up, I grew up in a rugby household. Everything rugby. You know, so we just played. My dad trained us. We would go out every day. Me and my brothers just playing rugby. I would always win. Just bragging, but I shouldn't. My older brother might be watching. But anyway, so we played rugby. That's all we did. So I already had this plan. Actually, I'm going to play for the Chiefs, then I'm going to play for the All Blacks. That was my plan in life. And I could say that was happening at a young age. I was making Auckland teams. I was um, in first 15 at the age of 14. But I was going through all of this, and then God actually... It stopped because I knew my plan, but I didn't know his plan. So at 15, I ended up breaking my ankle and everything got thrown out the window. And I was sitting there going, what am I going to do with my life? As Tao said, drugs, drinking, stealing. We went into all of that. But then I remember turning to that scripture. You can say, that's, that's like one of the first scriptures every believer goes to, am I right? Or was it just me? Well, well, it was just me. But I hear people share it all the time. <laughs> Don't laugh awkwardly. <laughs> but that's a scripture where I was like, actually, God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. And I start believing that. And then God counts that as righteousness. We're going to go to another guy. Who knows David? So what did Abraham do? He believed God, and God called it righteousness. Now another one is knowing God. David knew who God was. I, I love hearing stories of him, of what he overcome, what he had to go through, because it happens nowadays, especially for younger people. You know, it's like, you're too young. You don't know enough. You're dumb. You're stupid. You know, you should have listened to me. That's what David had to go through a lot. So we're going to turn to um, 1 Samuel 16. If you've got a notebook, write it down. If you've got the best memory in the Word, keep that memory locked in there. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king 
over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elib and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Sorry, I can't pronounce his name. Abinadab. Abinadab? Abinadab. Abinadab. No, joke. But And had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his, seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I'm just saying, man, that's got to be sore not being invited to your own anointing, eh? Sheesh, you, you look at that, you know, if you look at it, Jesse had people who could tend his sheep, but instead he still sent David to go tend the sheep. You know, that hurts sometimes because we go through that in school. Sometimes we feel like our parents don't love us. But David had to go through that. And this is the thing. Samuel didn't say, bring me seven of your kids. Bring me all of your kids. That sort of hurts. And, you know, but one thing David didn't focus on with all of that was he didn't focus actually it's not going to be me or it's not going to be this. Instead, he just carried on doing God's work. He didn't worry that, you know, I was the last choice. I wasn't the first picked. Because if you look at Samuel, what God said to Samuel was, don't look on the outward appearance. I wonder why. If we go to the story of when David defeated Goliath, so that's in 1 Samuel 17. If you want to have a read, have a read of it. If we go to that story, so if God chose his oldest brother, I'm just saying his oldest brother was already at that war and he was already afraid of Goliath. Then there was the second oldest brother. If God chose him, 
he was afraid of Goliath. Then the third, same thing, afraid of Goliath. But when David went there, he wasn't afraid because he knew who God was. He knew that God was going to conquer the army. He knew God was going to conquer Goliath. He didn't let the fact that his brother, when he saw David talking to some of the men, that he went and goes, why are you here? What are you even doing here? You just come here to watch the war. You're meant to be tending the sheep, you know, but David knew in his heart, his dad sent him there for a reason, to go give his brother some food. He didn't let that get to him the first time and just walk off. Instead, he goes, you know, you guys shouldn't be here because we serve a living God. We serve this God who's big. We serve this God who's mighty. And you guys shouldn't be here trembling every time you hear Goliath because that was for 40 days. Every day, Goliath was coming out and just laughing because all the Israelites would tremble. Even the king saw he was hiding at the back. So what he's, and then all of a sudden, so then David started speaking. He's like, oh, I'll deal to this guy. I'll do this. So then, um, one of, the, um, one of the army people hear this, so they go tell Saul. So this is a, let me tell you, how old do you think David was? He was only like 15 years old. He wasn't that old. 15, 17, that's roughly how old David was. And you got these growing men. You know, come on, think about it. Actually, I'm going to share this. I got told yesterday that I would look quite scary. So I got told I look scary. So you imagine David going to war. If he sees men like me, you would be thinking, damn, they're scary, right? But David, these men that were big, scary looking, they were afraid. But David wasn't, a 15, 16-year-old boy who knew who God was. I'm going back to knowing who God was because that's an important part. We believe and know that God is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that's what David knew. So when he met Saul in that army, you know, Saul's like, wow, you're handsome. You're young. You don't even know what a woman is. But he still, David didn't let that get to him. And he goes, well, actually, I want to defeat this. I want to show you who God is. I want you to remember that this is how big our God is. So at the end of it, Saul ends up going, yep, you're going into army. So you got a 16-year-old, 15-year-old boy going to go fight this huge giant. So Goliath was roughly about 9, 10 foot. So there he is. So you got, so if I can get an example. Who's 15? Josh. Sweet, Josh. <laughs> Jeff, he wishes he was still 15. Jeff still wishes he was 15. So you look at this. We're like five foot five. Well, maybe him. I'm five foot eight, maybe nine, ten, maybe six foot, close to it. But you look at this. This is this. This is David. So imagine. So who knows um, LeBron or Giannis, Kevin Durant? So those guys are like seven foot. So that's still about like there. And then we go a bit higher and then you got Goliath. So you got this big giant man, muscles, bronze, all this, who's been in war his whole life. From a youth, he's been fighting. And then you got a man who tends sheep. 
a little farmer boy who looks after sheep. But what none of them saw was the preparation. What do I mean by that? They didn't see that actually God used David to save his sheep. So when a lion attacked his sheep, David ended up killing the lion. When a bear ended up attacking his sheep, David ended up killing bears because he knew who God was. And so in this battle, he comes up to Goliath. Goliath's like, how dare you guys? Do you think I'm a dog that you will feed me sticks? Talking about David. But yet David again didn't let that get to him. Instead, he knew who God was. He goes, you're up against the God of all kings. You know, um, this is the God of Israel. This army is God's army. And you think you can defeat it? You know, and Goliath's laughing. But then David goes, yeah, you know, pretty much it's on. Today you're done. So he grabs a sling. Right in the forehead. Goliath's down. Oh, you can sit down. Thank you. So that's a little 15-year-old, this big nine-foot man. Falls to the ground, and Goliath, Goliath defeats him. David defeats Goliath. Why? Because even though he was mocked, he was laughed at, his brother accused him of coming here just to watch the war, he still knew who God was. And from our walk, the same thing with me and Taos. We believe who God is. We believe he's a God who saves, a God who loves, and we know who God is. So through this journey that we're going through, we know that this is God. It's two. Do you know what the difference was between David and Saul? Here we go. Saul feared man. David feared God. Saul would comprehend or come to submission. If men wanted to kill him, he'll go, no, you just go do what you want. David, when there were men that wanted to kill him because everything got taken, he cried and said, God, help us. Let's get this back. David went on his own and saved him because he knew who God was. Saul feared man. David feared God. David knew who God was. Saul wasn't quite there yet. You know, and David failed. We all know the story. He ended up walking in sin and having sex out of marriage or sleeping with another man's wife. Yeah, he failed. But guess what? He still kept his heart after God. He still knew who God was. So what are the two we got so far? Believing, knowing. Here we go. This is my favorite. I love these guys. The 12 disciples. I love reading about them. I love the stories that they shared about our great God. So here we go. So you know, all of these 12 disciples had no qualifications, right? They had nothing. They were fishermen, tax collectors, you name it, they done it. That's who they were. But yet God was still going to use them. But do you know what they were willing to do? Follow God and be obedient. 
So let's go. So we're going to go to the call of the first disciples. As Jesus walk, was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and the brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and, the, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left their boat and the father and their father and followed him. So say you see a stranger on the street, randomly just comes up and goes, get out of your car and follow me. What are you going to do? You're going to ask every question, who do you think you are? Why am I going to follow you? You want to fight? No, you wouldn't ask that, I hope. But that's what Jesus did with these guys, and immediately they left everything. They left their boats. They left what they knew how to do. Even a couple of them left their father because Jesus said, follow me, because they knew there was something there. But that's obedience. You know, I, I couldn't follow some of the... You know, if I didn't know Rob, and he come and goes, follow me... <laughs> You follow yourself. You know, walk the other way. But they didn't do this with God. How about this? When Jesus calls Matthew, as Jesus went on from there, he saw, so this is um, Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He caught a man that was, in a, that was a tax collector. And if you go back in ancient days, tax collectors were the worst things. He didn't know God. If anything, he shouldn't have even been there. But he was obedient enough to follow God, to follow Jesus through this walk. That's big. You know, all these men gave up everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their jobs. They gave up their boats. They gave up their family to follow Jesus because they knew there was something. And they were obedient to that. Jesus could have called anyone he wanted. So he could have called the Pharisees and said, you know what, these guys know their Bible. They do right. They do the correct things that we're meant to be doing. But he didn't. Instead, he goes and calls a fisherman who knows nothing about saving people. He goes and calls a tax collector who just sits down and wants money. This is who Jesus called. And he still called the man who ended up handing him in. This is who our God calls to follow him, but they're all obedient. You know, you can say, well, actually, there was this guy named Peter who decided to say, well, 
Jesus, I'll follow you even to death. And then Jesus goes, you don't know what you're asking. You're going to deny me three times. Did it happen? He denied him three times. Imagine how much that hurt. Denying the guy you said you're going to follow to death. But he didn't stop there. So even though Jesus died, he could have ran off, ended up drinking his sorrows away, ended up you know, sleeping with multiple women, ended up just going, I don't even know who this God is. But he didn't. Instead, he carried on preaching his word. He ended up sharing more about Jesus because he knew who he was. You know, believe me, in one of the scriptures, I don't know where it is at the moment, but he goes, who do people say I am? Peter says, you are the Lord. And he goes, today, I did not reveal that to you for my father has, and today I call you. He ended up knowing who God was, who Jesus was. So what is it again? First one, second one, third one, following. If you look at all these men, they all had that. They believed, they knew, and they followed or were obedient to God. You know, and I struggled with that for so long. But you don't need, it's like going to a job interview or studying. So, so if you look at studying, you can go learn everything on paper. Correct? You learn everything about a certain job on paper. For example, electrician. You can learn everything, yet don't play with 240 volts, don't play with 120 volts, don't plug this in there. You know, you can learn all that. But you may not know how to practically do it. So when you go out there, you'll be standing there like, how do I even put the plug in the wall? If you're not going to do it, so you need... So you can know everything and practically not know it. But God wants more than that. God wants you to believe Him, to know Him, and to follow Him. I'm I'm closing up, and then we're going to just see what God does, because I have no idea what what He's going to do, but I'm believing big. That's what I'm believing. I'm believing if you didn't know God today, He's going to reveal Himself to you. Or I'm believing you may have walked in here feeling shame, feeling deceit, but I'm believing God's going to give you healing and forgive you. That's what I'm believing today. Here we go. So I'm going to close up on this. So as we look at David, David was not qualified to be a king. How about this? We end up looking at Moses. Moses was not qualified to lead Israel out of Egypt. Here we go. We're going to keep going. You look at Gideon. He wasn't even qualified to lead an army. But what I love was they were all, they all believed, they all knew and they all followed. That's who our God is. It's not doing all the stuff that makes us qualified. It's like, 
okay, I need to preach, I need to go out, I need to go do the kitchen. Nah, it's not that that makes you qualified. Instead, what's making you qualified is believing. Abraham was called righteous because he believed. David knew who God was, so he conquered it. And then the 12 were willing to follow and be obedient to God. So this morning, I, I don't know, um, can, can I just get us to stand to our feet? We're just going to honour God. We're going to love God. But I'm just feeling like God's really moving this morning. You know, whether you're tired, whether you're weary, whether you don't know what's going on, I believe God wants to do something this morning. So I don't, I don't know how your week's been. Some I do, some I don't. I don't know how your week's gone. I don't know, I don't know some of your guys' stories. But what I do believe is God's wanting to do something this morning where actually we need to move from this place of unforgiveness and start stepping into forgiveness. Or we need to start moving from this place of hate into a place of love. Or we need to start moving from a place of, you know, mourning into dancing around and being happy because that's who our God is. So we're just going to jump off the back. You know, we're not going to go any music. We're not going to do anything. But one thing we're going to do is we're just going to shout and praise our God. Okay? Because I believe He's good. Do you believe He's good? Doesn't sound like it. Do you believe God's good? Do you believe He's faithful? Do you believe He loves you? Do you believe He's forgiven you? That is who our God is this morning. So this morning, on three, you know what? 